Famous dead people. It's time. Famous dead people. Time to start the show. Famous dead people. People you know. Famous dead people. Famous dead people. Famous stories stuck in the heads. My guests today on Famous Dead People are 20th century American actor, famous from films such as The Thomas Crown Affair, Papillon, and The Great Escape, Steve McQueen. Vroom, vroom. And English writer and philosopher, author of nearly 50 books such as The Doors of Perception and Brave New World, Aldous Huxley. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Mr. Huxley, Mr. McQueen, thank you so much for being with us here today on Famous Dead People. Of course, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, I'd like to start off with you, Mr. McQueen, if I may. Uh, So you were nicknamed the King of Cool. And uh, feel free to correct me, but it seems like that nickname wasn't just because of your disposition, but because of like... All the things that you were doing in your life, like in addition to being a movie star, you were also a racer of motorcycles and sports cars. Is that the case? Jared, like hand, hand of God, I didn't even know that was my nickname. Nobody even told you that you were called the King wasn't, of Cool? Wasn't aware. How, wasn't do you, aware. How, does, how do you miss that sort of thing? I don't know. I think I just might be that cool. Can I... <laughs> Can I, I jump? Can I jump Absolutely. in here? Absolutely, of course, Mister. Why not the Queen of Cool or McQueen? Of because cool. his name is McQueen. McQueen yeah. of Cool. That would have been great too. That would have been great. The Queen of Cool. Yeah. Although I will say it's not very progressive because it's like saying that women can't have uh, a Queen of Cool. I think, oh. Do you I don't know, know what I'm saying? Yes. I don't. I don't know if that says that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I no, I get it. It's like calling Bill Clinton the first black president. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe he wasn't black. Right. Right. <laughs> Maybe a queen of cool. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a suitable nickname because that, that Ooh, yeah, means a that there could cool. be other Others. queens. Others who are women. Sure. Yeah, imagine if there was like, uh, you hey, know, a man, cool. a man who won, another cool guy. Yeah. A man wins best actor. Yes. And then another man wins best actress. It's like women can't even have that. <laughs> That's what I feel like calling you the queen of cool would right. have been. Well, Steve is fine. Steve is also fine. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so now that you know, now yes. that you know that your nickname was the king of cool, right? Are, is there anything that's like ringing a bell now, thinking back on your life over the different experiences that you have? Well, I, Do you I, think you ever heard it and you were like, oh, that can't possibly refer to me? I probably he- would have heard it, but I was too busy revving a motorcycle and <laughs> driving away. Oh, I can't hear over that motor. Pretty yeah. cool. Wow. So I'm guessing that you're so cool that this doesn't even... This is doesn't even phase no, you. No, I'm I'm honored. I'm flattered. Yeah. So but obviously you didn't cultivate this. You're just living your life. I just lived my life, much mm-hmm. like I'm sure Mr. Addis Huxley lived his life. Yeah, just you were just my life. Yeah. You weren't trying Aldous Huxley to be to be given a cool nickname or anything, right? Uh, I mean, it would have been nice. Well, were yeah. you trying to write cool books or were you just trying to write? Yeah. I was trying to write. Good books, which if you mm. called them cool, I would take that as a compliment. Yeah, mm. I think uh, I think Brave New World was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, agreed. I think George's Perception is pretty cool. Yep, me too. Yeah, I mean, as far as nicknames go, King of Cool is pretty great. Yes, I did read that your nickname growing up, Aldous Huxley, was Ogre. Yes. Do yes. you know where that came from? Hey. <laughs> pretty cool. I I think. <laughs> right, Revenge of the Nerds. Wasn't there an ogre in Revenge ogre? of the Nerds? Yes. Shrek. Shrek's, Shrek's pretty Shrek's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three yes. movies. Well, two things. Mm. I I was called Ogre because mm. I would pick on the nerds. I would push Ooh. push them down and things like that. And okay. also, I was mm. tremendously ugly as a child. I see. Yes. Okay. Well, that's not great. Maybe it was but... the voice. Also, oh, yeah. maybe it was you a deep voice, kind of a deep, gravelly voice. Well, I've had this voice since I was. Uh, I, I think I started talking before I could walk, and I've had this voice ever since then. Oh, mm. fun. Yes. Oh, so I think like was that four years old when a kid start talking? Two. Mm. I don't know when kids start talking. I think it depends on the kid. <laughs> I was I was two. Mm. That's pretty cool, yeah. Steve McQueen. You're letting like, your kids grow up at their own pace. That's what you got to do. Okay, so you were Mr. McQueen. Uh, you were a heavy drinker, a heavy smoker. It's true. Cigarettes, weed, you did cocaine. I'm sure that was typical of a lot of movie stars at the time. Do you think you partied harder than your contemporaries? Would you say that you were like an average... Of a movie star. I think I fit in with everybody else who was partying with me at the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe I do have a little bit more swagger, perhaps. Okay. But um, you, as far as like amount goes, you weren't smoking more weed or I don't think so. Coke. I think maybe I just was ha- able to handle it. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, 
I I wasn't trying to do a lot. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to do drugs. Oh, yeah, so cool. That's so fucking cool. God. So I wasn't trying to do more than anyone else or less than anyone else. You're still. Can I just tell you, McQueen? You're still knocking it out of the park, man. Well, as far as cool goes. Look, I'm in a. Uh, I love the room I'm in at the moment <laughs> with the people I'm I'm with. Wow, that's so, so fucking cool, man. You ever do uh, LSD? I have. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I did read that. Uh, uh, you did, uh, you did, you did LSD with somebody famous or oh, something. This is out there. Wow. Yeah, or like one of your one of your wives or something. Probably. That's on the Wikipedia I mean, somewhere. All of all of the above. Mm-hmm. With I've, a, with I've a wife it. and with somebody. Yes. Yeah, when you were I've done it too. partying. Cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you wrote the book, The Doors of Perception. Of yeah. course, You've done psychedelics. Of course. Yeah. We have Would the you... we have the doors because of you. Probably. Ooh. They wouldn't have been a band. Probably not. Oh, they would have been. A, they would have been a, a different band. Yeah. They might have been a different. I don't band. think they would have been a band. I think maybe they would have been poets or bongo players or. Yeah. Yeah. So you think that without the name The Doors, the Doors wouldn't have coalesced? I believe that. I think history. Will uh, bear that out. Mm, okay. I think people want, once in the future, when people are able to archaeologically excavate for alternate uh, pasts, they will be able to find out that that is true. I'll see if I can get Joe Morrison in here, and we can uh, we can put that oh yes, put that dead. debate did, to rest. I did do LSD with a roadie from the Doors, so maybe that's who you're trying to think of. That's pretty cool. So yeah. cool. Yeah, and the fact that you did it with a roadie just shows how down to earth you are. God damn, Steve McQueen. Wow, you are kicking ass. Well. I am great at taking compliments. So <laughs> I say keep them coming. Let's go over to uh, Albus Huxley for just a moment. So mm. as I mentioned in your introduction, you were an extremely prolific writer. You wrote nearly 50 books, novels, nonfiction, essays, poems, etc. But what few people probably know about you is that you did all that work while being almost blind. Yes. You had an eye disease when you were a teenager that left you blind for uh, about three years you recovered your eyesight somewhat, but you were still permanently impaired. In 1939, a woman named Margaret Corbett taught you something called the Bates Method for better eyesight, which you claimed improved your sight dramatically. Wow. Yes. Now, the efficacy, the scientific basis behind the Bates Method has been disputed. Mm. However, you claim that it helped you immensely. Can you describe this method for us? What is the Bates Method? How does it help people who are visually impaired to see better? The Bates method uses the natural, uh, the natural muscles of the eye to. It's like any muscle; you can flex it, and uh, you can, you can, uh, you can, you can uh, exercise it. Mm. You know, but mm. isometric eye, isometric exercises, stretching, uh, mm. stretching, stretching. Yes. Yeah, so you know, you you massage the eyeballs mm. with your, your digital massage with your fingers. Uh, and then just put certain heavy things on top of them and push them out. I'm sorry, you push your eyes out? Yes, you lie down on your back and you put, uh, say, like a, a cup of sugar and, a, you know, a cup of uh, whatever you have around the house. <laughs> Eggs, water, some, water some would work. Water's heavy. I would yeah. say why it has to be a different thing on each eyeball. Why can't it be the same? Well, you know, different prescription. So you can switch. Oh, but I maybe one eye's lazy. I had a little lazier of, of my left eye, so mm. you know, that one would be the eggs or the water or the tea bag or whatever and the other one would be sugar and then you just push with all your might and just try to pop those eyeballs out like a you know like one of those circus geeks you just push your eyes and that's the Bates method you just exercise your eyes and then you massage with your fingers afterwards and it hurt like hell but I'm living proof that it worked wow yes yeah and so you're saying that the Bates method did work for you your eyes got stronger. You saw better after doing this yes wow that blows my mind yes you you have to injure your eyes so that they can heal stronger. Mm, interesting. Do you it, think that you saw better than before you got the, the eye oh, disease? Oh, def- definitely. Really? Definitely. That's before so the eye disease? No. <laughs> no, I thought. I'm sorry. I anticipated the end of your sentence, but no. I saw perfectly before the eye disease. Mm. After the eye disease, I was blind for three years. Mm-hmm. Then after the eye disease, I, my vision improved tremendously. Because of the Bates method. Because of the Bates method. Yeah. Now, uh, just for specifics, what were we talking about? Like three sets... Maybe like five reps per set. Well, you know, you push, kind of push, alternate. Push. You alternate intensity with mm-hmm. reps. Okay. Probably so a, low a, weight, low weight, high reps, mm-hmm. three days a week. Probably a day on, day off. Day yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some muscle muscle confusion. Muscle like confusion. P ninety X. Get throw that on there. <laughs> yes. Does is uh, 
does muscle confusion necessitate looking at things that you don't expect to to look at? Maybe like flipping through a book and just seeing some photos. Well, you know, oftentimes yeah, our, I our, would not know what was in the cup, and mm. then I would smell it, and it wouldn't match what I thought was in there. And be oh, like, interesting. Huh? Mm. And sense then, confusion. Yes, sense confusion. Maybe you oh. have your wife throw a picture of something interesting in a book that you're reading, and then you'd be like, "Oh my God, there's a picture of an elephant!" And I was expecting to see that. Yes, and uh, yeah, and then then that would be very confusing. Eyeball confusion complete. Yes. Mm. So. To alternate days, alternate high rep, days. low weight, mm-hmm. low rep, high cheat, weight. Any cheat days in the Bates method? Yes, there's one <laughs> one cheat day a week where I would just uh, I would wrap a hot towel around my eyes and walk mm-hmm. around and just rest those puppies and you then don't just try look to at anything. Just seem... don't look at anything. Just try to uh, try to uh, echolocate my way around. That doesn't seem harmful. I don't know how why that would be a cheat day. Well, this is a very hot towel. Mm. You burn mm-hmm. the eyes. Yes. I see. And they get stronger. Now, here's the thing, Aldous Huxley. There are a few stories about you later is on in D your life. Is the D silent? Is mm-hmm. it Al- Alice or Aldous? Aldous. How do you say it? You can call me Al. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. Yes. I will. Uh, the D's not silent. Yeah. But Aldous. Aldous. But Aldous. I'm not. But I'm I'm chill about it. You can call me whatever, man. Oh, right? you're pretty cool too, Aldous Huxley. Oh yes, yes. I'm I, I'm cool. I, I want you to think I'm cool. I think hallucinogens make people cool. I think. Mm. You know, you guys both did hallucinogens, and you're both. Or do I cool, think people cool people do, do hallucinogens. hallucinogens? <laughs> I think so. You know what I mean? Yeah, we should give LSD to some dorks and see if it makes them cool. Like that's that's a scientific experiment. Ah, I you think know? that they need something. Mm. Dogs need something. They do need something. Yeah. Uh, they just need I don't want to rally you me. up. I know you they used to rage me. I, I know you used to beat up a bunch of dorks when you were when you were young. Could backfire. Could you if you give a dork a hallucinogen, they might come out the other side thinking, Oh, we're all dorks. Oh my god. Which we don't even trees want. are dorks and uh, rocks. Oh, they ruin everything. And the water yeah. and the air is dorks. Water's right. not water's not dorks. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> No, but dorks are cool. Dorks are cool. Oh, I uh, wish I could have your cool attitude. So here's Not the thing, there yet. Aldous. So there are some stories from later on in your life where it seemed like you were maybe faking that your eyesight had been recovered. <laughs> like, for example, there was a talk that you gave where you were pretending to read a speech, mm. but it became clear that you had instead memorized it because at one point you forgot what you were going to say next and you needed a magnifying glass to find your place in the speech. So tell me, you know, did you really have any kind of benefit from the Bates method? There are so many picky people out there who contribute to Wikipedia. I'm talking yes. about, say. this is the same people that think that like Stevie like, Wonder can a, see. Or this something? is a story. This is awful yeah. that people think this. Mm-hmm. Is there any truth to this at all? I did memorize the speech mm-hmm. and I had, I had an off day where sometimes my eyes didn't work. Mm. So I had to memorize the speech. Yes, it's true. You got me. <laughs> but most days, my my vision was very, very good. Mm. I, I, I'm I'm amazed that people would think that somebody with perfect eyesight couldn't lose their place in a speech. But then would need. Well, I think the point is that he would need to use the magnifying glass to find his place. Well, I'm guessing there were bright lights on this stage. That I mean, just you it know. was a very confusing environment. Right. And mm. listen, what kind of balls would I have to have? To fake having sight. Like, I could get, like, somebody with sight faking that they can't see easy. Somebody with who's blind faking that they can see. I mean, what? All you have to do is say, how many fingers am I holding up? Right, mm. yeah. Yeah, I guess one of the benefits. Or even just uh, lead you into an empty um, uh, room. Yeah, and, and say, saying, what do you think <laughs> of saying, my grand saying, piano? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or even saying, oh, everybody's here. It's time for your speech. Yeah, do your speech, Aldous. Right. Yes. We're really excited about but it. But even then, I had pretty well developed sonar. You yeah. know? Oh, so yeah. I'd go. Because um, of how bad your um, eyesight was? Because of the cheat days, I would use, oh, I would use a little bit you. of daredevil type sonar to get around. Mm-hmm. Did I mention that? I definitely thought it. Oh, that you did that sonar? Echolocation. Echolocation. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I could think of is if maybe you really liked driving. And if if the DMV found out that you couldn't see, then they would take your license away. But rightly so. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Why would you fake it unless that was the case? I can't think of any other reason. I don't know. Money, <laughs> money. I guess. <laughs> what 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 do you mean money? What's the what's the financial benefits? Well, those speeches they pay. You know, oh right. To have Huxley speak at your college or your mm-hmm. bookstore, or whatever they and pay. They want to see a man reading a speech. 
That's yes. what they're paying for. Yes. So, yeah. okay. Were all of my public <laughs> readings memorized? Yes. Mm. Every single one. Scandal. But they bright lights, a lot of people, very confusing. And, you know, you're tired and you just want to get through it. And it's a lot of money, Jared. Mm, I get it. I understand. The temptation's too great. I'm not a bad guy. No, 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 no. You're cool. I'll I can see. Great. <laughs> I, be, I believe it. Yeah. We're not going to test like it. Keys on on per, like keys on a typewriter, even. Like keys on a typewriter. How would you write so... so many books if you couldn't see? It would be impossible not to. Right. Uh, if you're just joining closed. us, this mm. is uh, Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. And my guests today are English writer and philosopher Aldous Huxley. Hi. Who can see great and 20th century American actor Steve McQueen? Kaboom. Uh, let's go back over to Steve McQueen for just a moment. So, you had a, a bit of a troubled upbringing. Uh, from the age of eight years old, you were shuffled back and forth between your mom and your grandparents. Uh, you had two different physically abusive stepfathers. You ran away multiple ch- times. You joined street gangs. At one point, you ran away and joined the circus. Oh, man. You, lived, wow. at, you yeah. lived at an orphanage for a bit. Then you joined the Merchant Marine at 17 years old. Then you abandoned the Merchant Marine to work at a brothel in the Dominican Republic. And this is all before your 18th birthday. Right. I'm curious if you were ever reflective about like how those early years may have affected you. Like What that might have done to your brain when you're in those formative years, just like constantly bouncing from sure. one place to another. And some of those environments are very dangerous and negative. And, right. You know, you're working at a brothel, you're working at a circus. Like, all right. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think that might have done to you? All right. So, Jared, I thought I was, we were going to come here and I was going to talk about the Cincinnati kid or, the, the or, movie? or, or Bullet. <laughs> But we can go back that far. That's fine. That's cool. Um, I mean, if you're uncomfortable, Steve, no, I'm not. I'm not, about your I'm not. I'm not uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's. I guess it's something that I don't think about that much. But okay. yeah, I I was placed from a young age in a lot of survival mode situ- mm-hmm. situations. Yeah, and um, I think that may have. I am a thrill seeker, maybe a, a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, mm. and I think that comes from. Maybe some childhood trauma, but also, you know, dealing with the childhood trauma, the, the running away, it wasn't a cry for help. It was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Merchant Marines was like, I got to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then leaving that was just like, these people are insane. Yeah. You know, it's a very oppressive. I went from an oppressive family to an oppressive, you know. Organization. Organization. Yeah. And then the brothel was fun. <laughs> um <laughs> And but that was uh you know I just happened to there was a sign in the window help needed mm-hmm. it's not like I was like I need to work a an interesting exciting job mm-hmm. but I worked there yeah you needed a job you were in the Dominican Republic yes and you saw the sign I got very good at was pleasuring it? people whoa <laughs> and um you know I, I just did you know lived I did what I had to do to to survive what, what was your job at the brothel I'm wondering if you were I was I was being a paid a, a housekeeper you were a I housekeeper was, I was cleaning up after the uh, after all the events. business but you yes. picked up a few things from sure. watching oh yeah you learn a thing or two that's right you oh. know I was a waiter but I still learned a little bit about cooking just you know yeah. you're there exactly you Makes know sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so, can I also ask you what your job was at the circus? What did you do at the circus? That's what I, I think. That's what I would. I know. cleaned there as well. Oh, so you were just a housekeeper, a, clean, a cleaner, yes. basically everywhere that you worked. So you uh, must have picked up picked up a few things from the circus. That's too. true. <laughs> I, uh, I I did fill in for um, uh, the clowns once in a while if somebody was sick. It was like, mm-hmm. hey, McQueen, throw on some face makeup and get out there and make the kids laugh. Oh wow! Uh, and that, but that's also where I learned how to ride a motorcycle. Was the uh, the circus? Ooh. Oh right, because they have that thing where like the stunt that's spinning this, the globe of death. Mm-hmm. Did that so. ever happen at the brothel where like one of the prostitutes would be get it would be sick and the queen tag you in? Yeah. Put on some face put painting. on some face paint and <laughs> jump in. Yeah, Look, you got to cover for cinnamon. Or whatever. It was a different time, and you know, if, if Barbara had a fever, and needed to stay home and take care of her kids. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, you you jump in there. Yeah. I always thought You're they lived player. there. Yes. They don't live there. What's that? I always thought they lived there. It depends on the the brothel. Oh. What, what about the one that you worked at? Some lived, some didn't. Okay, you know, lived there. Yeah, yeah. We, yes. Some some survived. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we don't want to make it seem like there was a oh, it right. was a bloodbath. Yes. Yeah, everybody lived. <laughs> everybody yes. lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they all eventually died, but 
It's true. Uh, so uh, let's go back over to Elvis Huxley for just a moment. So because of your poor eyesight, you were ineligible to fight in the Great War, uh, World War One. Yes. Uh, so one of the jobs that you had during that time was teaching French uh, at, a, at a college. And one of your students at the time was a young man named Eric Blair, who would later change his name to George Orwell. Heard of him? Yes, the man... <laughs> Behind such works as Animal Farm and 1984, and I think it's so interesting that keep the aspidistra flying. You are what was that? Keep the aspidistra flying is another George Orwell. Of course, book. Mm. Uh, I think it's interesting that you, a man who wrote dystopian novels, mm-hmm. uh, would then teach a young man who would also go on to write dystopian novels. Uh, did you guys have a lot of interactions? You and uh, you and we Eric would, Blair, aka George Orwell. We would. We would get into it, mm. you know. He was. We were intellectually very well matched, and we got along like, uh, you know, uh, like a house, like on, a fire. house on fire, exactly, mm-hmm. like a house on fire. But we would get into it, you know. We got drinking, you know, English, and and so we'd, we'd drink a lot, and we'd get into these philosophical arguments. I would say, uh, you know, genetic engineering is the future, and he would say, Ooh. and he would say, you know, uh, uh, whatever nineteen eighty four is about, that's the future, <laughs> and. You know, and who was right in the end? Well, we were both dealing with fascism and, and look mm-hmm. around. I mean, you know? you're both a little bit right. You know, there are things in both of those books that are like, holy moly. Yes. Did There's one thing I wish machine? I was one thing I wish I could go back and I I whiffed it. And one prediction, this is, if you read Brave New World, there's a, there's a part where the elevator operator was genetically engineered to be an elevator operator and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I predicted genetically engineered Elevator operators, but not, not automatic, automatic elevators. <laughs> mm. And I feel like I really whiffed it on that one. Uh, but Orwell think... was so, George, Eric, I mean, I called him Eric. Eric mm. was so uh, talented and so warm and, and sweet. And God, what I treasured that friendship. Well, so you guys basically already had this idea of what your dystopias would be before you even set pen to paper. Yes. Wow, yes. that's bizarre. Yes. But and, it was, yeah. and it was something that you both really enjoyed discussing with each other. Oh, Yes, yeah, mm. especially with the you know the war on. Yeah, did you guys talk about try to talk about dystopias with other people, and they were like, "We don't want to talk about this." But then we yes, found they'd each be like, other. they'd be like, "Oh, you're bumming me out, man," <laughs> you know, and you know. Now all I did. These people. I did read that you were can mainly remembered when you were teaching French as being uh, not a great schoolmaster because you were unable to keep order in your class. Uh, does that ring true to you? Like, were you particularly incapable of keeping order in your class these these kids as far as i could tell they were very well behaved <laughs> as far as i could tell uh i would get up and i would talk and i would read from uh from my manuscripts that i could ve- read very clearly mm-hmm. because my, your eyesight my great eyes. is great and yes. uh as far as i could see they were doing great they were they were you know they were a little noisy a little rowdy route, sometimes mm-hmm. You know, was were there times when the entire class was empty and I didn't know? Yes. Hmm. Were there times when, uh, when you know, they would they would uh, pull pranks on me and write things on the board that were rude words and such? Uh, I found out later. Yes. Did they respect me and like me? Yes. Wonderful. Because I taught them French. Bravo. How did you How did you find out when you had been teaching to a class that was empty? Like, what was the reveal? Well, uh, the bell would ring, mm-hmm. and as I heard no chairs being pushed away from desks, and I would stand <laughs> there, and I'd, after speaking for an hour passionately, I would just go, oh, damn it. <laughs> Did you walk around, like, touching the chairs to see if they were empty? I was, That's how I'm imagining it. I, would, I, I went up to every, every desk, and I touched the chairs, and I was like, maybe they're just being quiet and playing a <laughs> joke on me. I, I mean, think I could look around and see them if, if I, could I ju- wanted because to. Because your eyes are great. My eyes are great, as we mentioned. But uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know. If I could I jump looking in here up at the ceiling or real, down at my shoes, quick. very beautiful shoes. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine because I'm, I, I'm an actor, and as an actor, we sometimes rehearse scenes, but when there's no cameras around, you know what I mean? We're doing parts of the movie mm. when no movie's being made. Yeah, and anybody that, walking by would be like, "Oh, uh, Aldous is just." Rehearsing, rehearsing, teaching yes. his class. You probably became a better teacher because of all those times you taught to no one. Yeah, you got practice. You're right. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right, Steve yes. McQueen. I was a great teacher. Let's uh, let's go back over to Steve McQueen for just a moment. So you were acting pretty regularly. Yes. Uh, you at 29, you got a very significant break. Frank Sinatra 
cast you in the movie Never So Few uh, in a role that was intended for Sammy Davis Jr. Right. Uh, because Sammy Davis Jr. made some negative remarks about Sinatra, and Sinatra was mad about him. Uh, so petty. Sammy Davis said it on the said some negative things about Sinatra on the radio. They patched it up though. They did. They, I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, so got so then you got this role that was supposed to go to Sammy Davis Jr. Yes. So I have two questions about this. First, do you know the negative thing that Sammy Davis Jr. said on the radio about Frank Sinatra? Okay. That did lead you the role. All right. What's the second question? Well, I want to hear the answer. Oh, the first all right. One first. Well, th- first I will. Before I answer that question, I want to answer a question you didn't ask. Okay. And uh, it's, what do I think about that performance? Mm-hmm. My worst performance. Really? Uh, there's no way that I could ever do as well as Mr. Sammy Davis Jr. That's so ever. humble of you, Steve McQueen. Well, he was an amazing entertainer. What an entertainer. Yes. I mean, you can still do your own thing. I mean, maybe it would have been better True. if Sammy Davis Jr. was in that role. It but I mean, he's yes. still a very capable actor, you know? I I had fun doing it, but it's my worst role. That's your worst one of all time. So as to what Sammy Davis Sammy Davis Jr. said on the radio Mm -hmm. about Frank Sinatra, um, could it have been something very? I'm just guessing here. Very small because Frank Sinatra was famously thin-skinned. He did have a bit of a temper. He was. So it's possible that it was basically nothing. Or it could have been huge. I'm on the edge of my seat. Well, so, so Sammy Davis. Junior was on the on a radio show, mm-hmm. and they said, uh, "We're going to play a Sammy uh, or a uh, Frank Sinatra song," and they played the song. Mm-hmm. And um, while that song was playing, Sammy Davis Junior. He Sammy told me this story, so I know this mm-hmm. from him. While that song was playing, him and the DJ were eating sandwiches <laughs> that were at the radio station. Sure. And while while the song was playing, they finished those sandwiches and. Sammy Davis Jr. said, not knowing that the song was over, it was pretty good. About he was talking about the sandwich. About the sandwich. Wow. And the, but they were live on air, and Frank Sinatra thought he was talking about his version of the of whatever song that was. Oh, my God. A complete misunderstanding. Oh. And you know Frank. And I got not... my, bad, my big break because mm-hmm. of a bad, a mediocre sandwich that Sammy Davis Jr. ate. It wasn't even that big of a slam. No. Even if he had been talking about the song. Yeah. It's pretty big. It shows you how how testy Sinatra was. It's true. Now, uh, I know that you said this was not your best work, um, but obviously you and Sammy Davis Jr. are different types. Wait, what was your second question? This was the second question. Okay. All right. Uh, And so I was wondering if there was any difficulty taking over the role from him because you're such different performers. You know, obviously he's black. And you're white. He's a singer and a dancer. You know, I don't know if you have any of those skills. You know, um, I'm okay. <laughs> um, I bet you're great. You're so humble. <laughs> you're so cool. And I humble. don't know. Uh, I look. I'm very grateful that that happened. Of course, it, it yes. helped your career. Um, look, I'm only going to quote you from earlier in this episode. Sammy Davis Jr. and I are both cool. That's the that's the connective mm. tissue there. All right, that's, you know. Yeah, so maybe there's stuff in this role that's specifically about like kind of type of person that Sammy Davis Jr. the kind of type of performer Sammy Davis Jr. is. Perhaps, but you perhaps. know what? You're both cool, and then both you can cool. make it work. We, we both had uh, rough childhoods. Oh yeah, um, another similarity there. Yeah, yeah I, that, it's basically like that part was written for you. That's right, Sammy Davis Jr. If if you want to know, mm-hmm. uh, he um. He had a rough, uh, he had a wonderful childhood on the road performing, but when he joined the the military, um, that's when things got rough for him. Mm. I, I don't know. I, I I could talk about Sammy Davis Jr. all day. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Uh, well, sure. no, I, we, we actually okay, have to take a short break. break. All right, I'm I'll, so I'll ask it off that. mic. Yes, uh, but we got to take a short break. We'll be right back with Steve McQueen and Elvis Huxley on Famous Dead People. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes or whatever app you are using to listen to podcasts, rate us five stars, leave a comment, tell your friends, all that stuff helps us out a ton. And feel free to hit us up at FamousDeadPeople at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org if you want a specific Famous Dead person on the show or if you have any comments that you want to shoot over to us, whatever we love hearing from fans. Uh, Also, check out my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It is out now. It is hilarious. I hope that you will check that out. 
out and read that and uh, leave reviews, awesome reviews on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or whatever and tell your friends to read it because it's super funny and I want that money. Also, go check out JarrettBarrington.com for all the latest on my show dates and uh, up-to-date project information. And lastly, if you really like Famous Dead People and you want to send us some money to help keep the show on the air, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Famous Dead People and click on the Support the Show button. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the podcast. Welcome back to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jarrett Berenstein, and we are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. My guests in the studio today are English writer and philosopher, author of nearly 50 books such as The Doors of Perception and Brave New World, Aldous Huxley. Hello! And 20th century American actor from films such as The Thomas Crown Affair, Papillon, and The Great Escape, Steve McQueen. Nothing but net. Now... (laughs) Wow. Uh, before we went to break, you said you you had a question, Aldous Huxley, for Steve McQueen. Did you want to ask that now? Uh, yes. Is it about it's something Sammy I, Davis it's, Jr.? It's about a term that was being used that mm-hmm. I've heard many mm-hmm. times, and I've just realized I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. What is the Merchant Marines? The Merchant Marines? What is the, I know what the Marines are. I'm pretty sure I know what the Merchant Marine is, but I'm, if you want to answer that, Steve McQueen, you I, can go ahead. I think it's like, I mean, in my mind, it's like... Boats for some reason. Yes, it's kind it's of definitely like definitely boats. Okay, it's kind of like sailors for hire. Ooh, you know what I mean. You, That's what I it's thought a, it it's was. A, like you're mercenary. You're a mercenary, but for boats, and not for really fighting, but just for like loading and unloading things, mm-hmm. and steering the boat and cleaning the boat and and just doing boat stuff. Yeah, you cleaned a lot. You Shipping a lot boats. Of True. Uh, hey, it worked for the Karate Kid. Hey, wax on, wax off. <laughs> That's right. Dino sign. Yeah. Let's go uh, back over to Elvis Huxley for just a moment. So during the war, uh, you also worked as a farm laborer near Oxford where you met several members of the Bloomsbury Group, yes. uh, which I had never heard of before. I didn't know what it was. The Bloomsbury Group was this group of English writers, intellectuals, philosophers, and artists all united by a belief in the importance of the arts uh, people like painter Duncan Grant, economist John uh, Keenis, and uh, writer Virginia Woolf were all part of this group. Fascinating. Uh, you mm-hmm. were never officially a member, I don't think, but you were adjacent to the Bloomsbury group. Sort of the fifth Beatles. Yeah. Exactly. And I read that uh, you <clears throat> caricatured their their group, their clique, in your early book, Chrome Yellow. Yes. And so I was wondering if you could tell my audience, for those that haven't read Chrome Yellow, like, like what was their lifestyle like that you caricatured in your book? Like, how did you describe it in the book? What was it like in reality? You know, like, tell me about what all these artists just, like, hanging out together that you then put into Chrome Yellow. Well, you know, nothing... Uh, and, uh, uh, an author lo- loves nothing more than the sound of his own voice. These were all very self-important people, mm. intellectuals with the qu- quotes around the intellectuals. Not saying they weren't smart people, mm-hmm. but they knew it, you yeah. know. And they were very full of themselves. So yeah. they, would, they would get it's around. Obnoxious. They would get around to just basically, su- you know, just sucking each other off for want of a better term mm-hmm. metaphorically oh you're such a great writer your ideas are so brilliant and i'm a great writer My oh, ideas are Duncan, blah, blah, what blah, a blah, great blah, blah. what a great painting Ooh, what a great oh, yeah. john oh. this economic theory oh, oh boy. You're, you're revolutionized blah 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 blah, blah. Oh, you know goodness. and they, i loved your margins <laughs> that kind of stuff yes great yeah. margins yeah. Mm-hmm. so you know so i just pay i i Barely had to amp it up for the for the satir- satirical version. Mm, you know, yeah. they were they were very you know they were very basically all all I did was uh, make their hair slightly weirder mm. when I described their hair. But the lifestyle itself, you basically just transcribed. I basically transcribed it, amped it up a little bit. Oh, I'm so great! I'm the best. Blah 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 blah. Was there ever any intention on your part to try to be in the Bloomsbury Group, like become an official member of the Bloomsbury Group? Uh, well, I think that in their hearts, I was a member, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be a member of any group that would have me as a member. What? To, to paraphrase. An interesting Groucho epigram there. Marks. Oh, it's a Groucho quote. How about yes. that? Yes. Uh, wow. So Because you know what? They were a hair's breadth away from being nerds. For, oh, God. And you, you they, know, were, they were dorks. They were almost nerds. They were... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they were dogs who were almost nerds. Yeah. So nerds is a worse is a for it's further down the 
uh, dweeb spectrum. On the dweeb spectrum, you have dorks. Who dorks are, are cooler than nerds. Not Yes, because they're not necessarily smart. Mm. Nerds are necessarily very smart and dorky. Mm-hmm. So those two things, that's the kiss of death. Gotcha. It infuriates me. Is it is it just dorks and nerds on the dweeb spectrum, or are there well, other? Well, there's geeks. Mm. Oh there's yes, dorks, nerds, geeks, dweebs, yeah. of course. Uh, spazzes, spaz, spaz, spazzes mm-hmm. uh, sound fun. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. I think. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it, mm. depends on the environment. So yes, dweebs. Well, there's so many words we can't say anymore. Yes. Dweebs, dorks, spazzes, geeks. I'd love to party with a spaz. I wouldn't want to go to. Uh, wouldn't would like to sit next to one at a wedding, mm, maybe. Yeah. Right. Not but I'd get down with the spaz. Yeah. Oh. I'd get down with the spaz. Spazzes are great for, for dance parties. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, sporting events. Movement. Sure. Sporting events also. Yes, not ballroom dancing. No, definitely no, no, not. No, no, But just dancing. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I was saved from that fate of being a nerd because I'm so large and cool. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, being intellectual, uh, it can be a burden because everyone looks to you for... You know, uh, everyone looks to you for advice, support, read my manuscript. Yes. Mm. Uh, what should I think about this current event? What should I think about this? Yeah. Is a question I get all the time. Mm. Should I, do I feel good about this? Yes. Mm. Should I marry this guy? You know. Uh, they, they would ask you because they knew that you were a philosopher. Philosopher. Should I marry I think, this guy? Uh, should I marry this guy? Huh, interesting. Yes. And I'd say, let me have a look at him. <laughs> and and so you judge to philosophize... The answer to should I marry this guy? Oh, absolutely. You can break anything down with philosophy. Huh. So like what was what was sort of things that you would look for? What would you try to ascertain? I'd I'd think I would ask well, I would ask them, well, how does he treat you? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if anyone what when someone shows you who they are, believe them the believe first time. Another great epigram. Mm, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx. <laughs> great. He had a quote about Groucho Marx. Yeah, that is that's a uh, incredible. That was story. that was my first thing. I'd say I'd say, honey, you think you can do better? If I thought if I didn't think very much of the woman, I'd say, honey, do you think you can do better? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I had a very sassy sort of uh, basically telling her, you know, you need to you need to settle, lock this one down. Mm, yeah, I would say, or sometimes I'd say, girl, you can do better. Mm, you know, ooh. you know, I think it was Harpo Marx that said honk. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> what a cool joke! I'm more of a daredevil what than a, than a, a, cool than a joke. joke. Let's yeah. go back over to Steve McQueen for a moment. So you were in the movie The Magnificent Magnificent Seven. I remember a star-studded ensemble cast. Yes, but you had some tension with Yul Brenner, who was also in the movie. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll. It's uh, completely my fault. Okay. So I. As I was introduced uh, on this show, mm-hmm. I, I'm an actor, but also sort of a rock and tour and sort of a stunt man, and you know, yeah. I wanted to. I know th- I, this was a western, but I was like, "What if we take out the horses and put in motorcycles?" Because I knew I could do that well. It was a very selfish move on my part. So, uh, props to Yul Brenner for checking me and putting in me in my place. Oh yeah, I, I was completely wrong for you know. I, I was. Did you? I was trying to throw my weight around what, on set. What, sorry, what was the movie again? The Magnificent, the Magnificent Seven. Seven. It was a Western. Yes, it's a yes, Western. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so you went to Ewell Brenner with They did not have... No, I went to the, you went to the producer director. and the director, oh, wow. and I had them kind of on board. You were basically they on motorcycles. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they were, I don't know, blowing smoke up my ass. I don't know. But I, I think we almost had motorcycles in the Magnificent Seven, and then Ewell Brenner was like, what the fuck are you doing? And he was right. There was no, there's no reason to have motorcycles in a Western. So you didn't change anything else? You didn't update it for the, it's like, it's the Magnificent Seven, but it's in the 60s? Well, we were going to wear helmets, <laughs> but then have cowboy hats on the helmets. Mm. A hat on a hat, as I, I knew a fabricator, and I, yeah, I, I, I had a guy make a model of a, of a helmet that had a brim. Mm-hmm. And, and like so you got pretty on. far in the process. Yes. Wow. Uh, I was on coke. You what did bring, I know? You bring your mock-ups of these great helmet cowboy hats. That's right. In, and then Yul Brenner shuts the I whole thing down. I had an easel. I, I had a whole Mad Med presentation about like my pitch. And I had a, one of those... Can uh, you give us... I just want the very beginning of this pitch. What happens? You set your easel down. Yes. How did you introduce... How did you start this? Well, I had a can of orange juice on there. Okay. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, we're not selling orange juice... We're making a movie. And then I pulled off the next one, and it was 
uh, cowboys riding motorcycles. Wow. Whoa. Right to the chase. That's right. I like it. Now, I read something yes. slightly different on the Wikipedia. Really? As to the nature of your disagreement with Yule Brenner, and it could have been both, obviously. Sure. Now, I read that Yule Brenner didn't like you because he thought you were trying to steal scenes by adding little flourishes to your character, like before you would load your shotgun, you would shake the shotgun round. <laughs> you like to wipe your gotta hat. Gotta make sure they're in there. <laughs> you gotta wipe your hat. Aldous, your, yeah. You, you would wipe your hat rim a lot. You would inspect yes. your gun in the background of shots that he was in. Do a lot of business. Yeah. And so my first question is, were you trying to steal scenes from Yul Brenner, or were you just like delving into your own character or just like in your own world? So you know? I would say that what you described mm -hmm. is what I described, which was adding flourishes. Yes, of course. Mm. So The motorcycles was, I, was an example yes. of a flourish. Was I trying to steal scenes from Mr. Yul Brenner, the king and I? No. Was I trying to be in character? Yes, cowboys do shake Shotgun show. Make sure. yeah, they make do sure wipe their You've got to check the, for the buckshot. Yes. Yeah. If, yeah. Uh, if you ever watch somebody in real life, Aldous, say that you and I were in a conversation and, Je and Jarrett was in the background. Yes. He would probably be doing something. Of course, if he stood there like a zombie. It right. Would be bizarre. No, it would be weird. Wiping the broom of my hat. Sure. Were there something. other things that you did on set that annoyed Yul Brenner and made him think that maybe you were trying to divert attention? Um, There was one scene we were doing where he was in, in the midst of a we're a grand monologue. We were mm -hmm. in a saloon. I was in the background, and I did try to whistle for a, a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> just something that I thought cowboys might do. Wait, you were in the in the saloon with him? Yeah. And you were just like, oh, maybe I'll see if I can get a coyote to come over right. here? I put my fingers in my mouth, and I whistled. Do, do cowboys whistle for coyotes? That's a, is that the thing that cowboys do? I, I thought I was maybe like more in touch with nature than some of my. Mm. So they would be having this monologue, and then in the background, this piercing, shrieking whistle would. I was just trying something out. Uh huh. Okay. The director yelled cut and said, don't do that again. Okay. So I just went back to, um, you know, uh, shake, doing, shake. A, doing a body shot off of the <laughs> uh, saloon keeper. And, uh, you know, the, whatever take the editor chooses is what makes it into the film. Yeah. You know? yeah. So if we you want to know what business stayed just just uh read the movie that's right yeah check it out acting, it's a great movie acting is flourishes flourishes is acting wow yes so you were, i can i try great something epigram. and then you'd get an extra and you do body shots right and yes. then they'd, they'd say maybe do less yeah uh -huh. right maybe. i like it i like that <laughs> maybe just brush mud feels, off of your boots feels authentic to mm. me yes i like it i like it a lot well, yeah. uh now Aldous Huxley, yes. you were uh, no stranger to the film business as well. Yes, correct. Uh, in 1937, you moved to Hollywood with your wife and son. And uh, while you were there, you made $3,000 a week. Wow. Which was which is an incredible amount of money today. Sure. Yes. You know, I can only think about what that bought in 1937. You made $3,000 a week writing screenplays, which I find so interesting because Never this, knew was, this. Never this knew was this. the late... 30s, early 40s, and your work was so dense and philosophical. I find it so antithetical to your other work that you wrote movies in the late 30s and early 40s. He, well, you know, it paid $3,000 a week. But also, I was fascinated by the, the cinema. Mm, you know, okay. I, I, would, I loved movies. Okay. And any way I could get my foot in the door, and obviously as a writer, that was, that was my way in. Mm -hmm. You know, get... Yeah. I wrote a uh, treatment for King Kong mm -hmm. versus Mothzilla. Wait, I'm sorry. You you wrote a treatment for King Kong versus Mothzilla? Yes, which... That which, sounds great. <laughs> yes, which, you know, you've got Mothra, you've got Godzilla. Why not Mothzilla? Right? Okay. Mm. You know, King Kong is such a classic story. I thought, yes. I can beat that. Yes. Wow. You know, I can, I can, I can make, I can bring him to tears. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're writing these philosophical treatises. And yes, then... well, Mothzilla was a fascist. Oh, oh! So this—the whole movie was a metaphor, then. Yes, yes. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I, I wrote monster movies in Hollywood, where the the, the there were metaphors for fashion. Was it exclusively monster movies, or were did you do uh, any, any rom coms or? Uh... Well, that wasn't a term we used back then, but there there were certainly romantic screwball type romantic comedies. Oh, okay. Yes, fast dialogue. Rom screws. Like rom screws. Rom screws. <laughs> yes, I, I I wrote a few of those. Uh, one of them got made. Uh, his Gal Friday. Ooh. You wrote His Gal Friday? I did. Yes. Wow. That's a great movie. Thank you. 
Yeah, wow. You guys are crushing it. Yes. Uh, uh, can you name the fascist in that one? I'll just put that out there. Oh. oh. In his is Gal there Friday. A fascist. Uh, is it Cary Grant? It's Cary Grant. Cary Grant was a fascist. Oh, yes. Wow. Oh, man. Bing, bing, bing. Now, I'm anyway, so of, I was able to have my cake and eat it too, you know. I'm mm. having a moment now, like, uh, you know, end of the usual suspects where I'm just like, Thinking about the movie His Girl Put Friday. It all, yes, it all comes and together. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Cary Grant really was the fascist in I that movie. I think I did acid with him, and he does go down a weird conversational path what, when he's he, on drugs. Does he try to convince you a little bit. about fascism? A little bit. Oh, those, Hello, are, the, those Steve. people are the worst. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that we should have a dictator, That's a great, Steve McQueen? That's a great... Oh, did Cary, Cary Grant just walk in here? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, I can clearly see that I'm he not great. did I'm not great at impressions. Oh, uh, yes, of course it wasn't him. For yeah. those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guests today are 20th century American actor Steve McQueen. Zing. And English writer and philosopher Alvis Huxley. Hullabaloo. Now let's go back over to Steve McQueen for just a moment. Now, you had a history of being combative with directors and producers. Yes. Uh, you were the first choice for the movie Grand Prix, which I was a racing movie, right. would have been perfect for you. Right. The director sent his business partner, Edward Lewis, to meet with you and offer you the role, but you two instantly clashed, and the role went to James Garner instead. I, who's great. Yes, James Garner is incredible. Uh, a gentleman. Um, I, didn't knew who, I didn't know who this man was. Uh, Edward Lewis? Yes. Okay, so do you he remember comes, what it was that set you off? Well, he comes up to me, and I don't know who he is, and I know I was talking to his business partner about Grand Prix, and he comes up and says... We want you in the picture. And I'm like, who are you? What picture? <laughs> and so. It's very abrupt. Yeah. Um, I've got a good story for you, though. Oh, yeah. No, I want to. You guys ever it. see Bullet? Yeah, I love Bullet. Love Bullet. Bullet's yes. great. Um, in Bullet is my. Because I ride, I drive cars, mm -hmm. I ride motorcycles. Do you ever see Great Escape? It's a great movie. I did all Wonderful of my. Film. I did all of my own motorcycle riding. Mm. When they cast me in Bullet, I was like, they were like, oh, you're going to be in a car. And I was like, wait, what if I was on a motorcycle that had an actual car as a sidecar? <laughs> and so my what? character That's... could be like, do I want to ride the motorcycle or do I want to hop in the car? A full-sized car. Yes. Unc incredible. And they, and they almost went for it. I think the movie, as great bullet was, would have been better if you would have seen me run out to chase some bad guys, and it's like, do I want to hop on the motorcycle or get in the car? Just take a second to. So think. it's a That's motorcycle right. car. Yes, a motorcycle car sidecar. Yeah. So, so because it's, it's the sidecar, it's on the right of the motorcycle. Right. Yes, attached. Okay. They didn't go for it. Now you Look, could drive the car. I could. Or you could drive the motorcycle. Right. That's the beauty of the motorcycle car sidecar. So, yes, I am... It feels a little unwieldy. In hindsight, <laughs> it probably wouldn't have worked. Who knows? We, I, we could have tried it. We could have had it on set. Yeah. You know? Um, I just I, want to hear about all the I different suggestions that you made for all the different movies that I you I put flourishes in. out there. Yeah. You know? What did you... Did you try to do anything to The Great Escape, for example? Yes. Tell me about it. I thought, wouldn't it be great if when my character escapes... The great scene when I'm on the motorcycle and I'm mm -hmm. running off from the Nazis. Yes. Very famous scene. You guys know Lady Gaga? You ever heard of her? Of course. Sure. She didn't invent the meat dress. Okay. Whoa. I wanted to wear an outfit of meat. And here's my thinking. While I was escaping, because mm -hmm. I thought, maybe there's lions and tigers running around fa fascist Europe. You don't know what's, what's outside that barbed wire. That's right. And if I'm wearing a meat suit on a motorcycle, these animals are going to want to be chasing me, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And if any Nazis get behind me, then they'll have a wild animal chasing them. As well. Anyway, they said no to it. Huh. And we, we got the movie we got, which, was, which is great. Great. The great Escape, Escape is a great movie. That's right. Um. But why not try it, you know, just have right. options. Yeah. I got to say, it, does, a, it is kind of terrifying. It's like, you're easier to find, obviously. I used to work to in a circus. So, yeah, you know let's, the world. Let's go crazy. You know you the know? world. Cincinnati Kid. It's a, ever see it? It's a you're great, a gambler in that It's movie, a gambler. Right? Yeah. I was like, why are we playing poker? Let's play war. <laughs> like, that's... A game that takes zero skill. Zero skill. Only luck. It's all luck. <laughs> I mean, why not try it? Like, we well, let's shoot one your way. Let's shoot one my way. 
And then we'll let the editor pick. Did they ever not shoot your ideas down? Or is there like a second version of any of your classic performances where we see Steve McQueen's ideas? The Thomas Crown Affair. Ooh, I love that movie. It originally mm-hmm. was about a guy who works at a museum and just goes around admiring all of the artwork. Wait a minute. So the Thomas Crown Affair, the original yes. script was about a guy who works at the museum. Yes. And it you was said... called it was called Thomas Crown Works at a Museum. <laughs> and I was like, let's put a heist in here. Why don't we make let's, him a yes. super rich guy right. who steals the art? Yes. Even though he could buy it. And they I were think like that worked. They were like, you know what? We'll try it. This is a better idea. So they did shoot it both ways. With me, you know, me as the the guy, the the rich guy heisting, and then me as the 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 meek, but very erudite museum curator mm-hmm. walking around admiring. There was no dialogue. There was very little dialogue. They watched. I've, I've seen. I've actually seen that. Version. You've seen it. You, yes. you wow. saw the original it, it version. It was on the Criterion Laserdisc. When you flip it over, oh, it was on, on the, the other side. side too. Yeah. Yes, and it was meditative and slow. Right. And it was it was it was very thoughtful, but it was very boring. It's true. It was it was me just walking around admiring the things that are in the museum. Mm-hmm. Sometimes telling a security guard to oh, pick that up. <laughs> and um, that's, well, not, well, that's well, not their job if the art falls over for the security guard. No, which but, one, uh, Aldous Huxley? Which one did you like better? Did you like the? Did you like Thomas Crown works for the museum? Oh no, or contest. Did you like the Thomas Crown affair. No contest, Thomas Crown affair. Yeah. Thomas Crown affair. So exciting! It's a great yes. movie. Yes. Yeah, and think about how much more. How many of your other movies would have been better if they had just done your cool ideas? I'm happy with movie. what got out there. To be honest, you know, what I mean? Bullet hey. is still a great movie. It's still a classic. So, so modest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go back over to uh, Aldous Huxley for just a moment. Yes. So in California, you were involved with a, a circle of Hindu mystics. Sure. Wow. Uh, this inspired you to write your book on spiritual values. Called... How'd you find these guys? Yeah. How did you find these guys? You you put an ad in the yellow pages. You were looking for mystics. Yes. Wow. wow. Mystics, any religion, any race. Doesn't doesn't matter. Does not matter. Huh. Open mind here. Did you get any other uh, religious mystics besides? I got some Mormon mystics. Hindus? I got some Mormon mystics. Boring. Boring. No, thank you. Next. <laughs> and then, uh, then the Hindu, and I was like, these guys, they yes. know what's up. Yes. This is dope. I really want to hear about these Mormon mystics, but I want to ask you about the perennial philosophy, which is the book that you wrote about the spiritual values that you learned about by hanging out with these Hindu mystics. Really, a nonfiction book, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. you wrote a lot, wrote of, nonfiction. lot of nonfiction. Wow. nonfiction. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so in the perennial philosophy, you argue that there are realities beyond the accepted five senses. Well, that's yes, there are. Okay. Now I haven't read the perennial philosophy. Can you tell us a little bit about those realities beyond the five senses? It's going to be. I'm going to do my best. It's going to okay. be hard to describe because mm-hmm. how do you describe sight, as we all know it very well? Mm-hmm. How do you describe that to somebody who yes. can't see? Yeah, right? Who has to stumble around in the dark? How do you even do it with words? How do you describe hearing with words? How do you describe the, hearing with someone who's never yes. heard before? Right. Yes. So, there are 14 senses. There's the five that you're aware of. Mm-hmm. There's the six that we all know, which is extrasensory, a sort of tele- telepathy. telepathy. The sixth sense is like psychic Yes, abilities. telepathy, psychic okay. abilities, ESP. Mm. And then there's eight other senses, which are very hard to describe, but... Uh, so okay, so there's like a there's like it's like it's like you know how taste is sort of like smell. Okay. There's another sense that's sort of like touch. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard to explain because <laughs> you don't. How how do you? Oh yeah, it's like no, touching I without touching. I get it. You get it, I get Steve. It. McC- I can see in your yes. eyes. You get it's, it. It's um. I can clearly see. When you're you riding a it. motorcycle, you can feel the road, even though you're not touching the road. That's right. Exactly. Interesting. So it's like touch without touch. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's, uh, there's a sense when you know that the food in your fridge has gone off. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. without even opening the door. No, you're, you're not like, even in your apartment. Oh, there's something wow. bad in there. You I could be, know. you could be a continent away and you just know, ah, I can, di- this cheese just went off. Interesting. Just got some mold on it. Okay. You know, which is not as, not as, not as sexy as telepathy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or sight. Or Sight, oh, <laughs> the best sense. Yeah, the one I'm most intimately familiar with. As the with. velociraptor of the senses. <laughs> yes, clever girl. Mm. And so, and these, you know, those two, and then uh, six more. 
And then six more. Yes. That's incredible. But this, so it would take all day to describe of them. Course. How do you describe Yeah. Yes. How do you describe the color red to someone who's colorblind? Who's never seen the color red. Mm, yeah. Impossible. Um, now, uh, in 1953, you had your first experience with mescaline, which you wrote about in your book, The Doors of Perception. Love mescaline. Uh, it's fun. Oh, yes. Now, uh, you asked for LSD on your deathbed, uh, so it is very likely that you were tripping as you passed on. Do you remember anything about that experience? Like, you are, you're on your deathbed and suddenly you're injected with LSD. Yes, uh, I do. It was... The, my most vivid memory. Mm. Because you can see everything you see, but you can see everything, the, the layer behind that mm. reality. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Sort of like seeing the inner workings of a machine. Mm. You can see the history of the, you know. So what happened is I'm on my deathbed. It's literally a bed. Mm-hmm. It's in hospice. And, uh, you know, it was a hospital room, sunlight pouring in. But the sunlight was music. And the music was Billie Holiday. Wow. Mm. It was beautiful. Yeah. And that was part of the trip. Like, none of those things were there. The music wasn't there. The music wasn't there. The sunlight became music. It was, everything was transmuted into a higher state. So I could feel the love of my loved ones like a warm bath. Yeah. Does that make sense? That sounds like a great death. I got to be real. That sounds awesome. Hey, I recommend if you're ever on your deathbed, trip balls. Do drugs. (laughs) Trip I, balls. Jared, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, for Mr. Huxley. Uh, your book, um, The Doors of Perception. Yes. It's about different realities and different sort of um, different knowledge and um, different dimensions. Yes. Are, the, are these actual doors or are the, the doors a, a metaphor? Or are, there, or are there physical doors? Thank you for asking. Yes. Everyone thinks they're metaphorical, but they are physical doors. There's actual doors. doors. They are I had a feeling. In, Shut I up. had a there feeling. There are doors what? in yes. the world that you can open and walk through. Right. What? Are there also, get to other dimensions. That oh, can't be real. Follow-up question. Absolutely true. Are there also like escalators of perception? <laughs> Sometimes if you open a door, there's an escalator there. And wow. that'll take you to dimension Q we or dimension alpha or quickly whatever. Quickly wow. running out of time. You don't want to hear about the doors of perception? We got about one minute left. How about people the, movers? There's one like at the, the airport? There's, are there people, are there people movers, movers of perception? perception? Yes, there are. Wow. Are Everything they, you can think of. Is there exercise equipment of perception like Stairmasters? And yes. Bowflex hmm. of perception? But, 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 but even weirder. Ooh. And there's a door in Chinatown. What do you mean a door in Chinatown? Wow. There's a physical door. In China, our very own New York's Chinatown. Hmm. That leads to where? Dimension four. Oh, wow. Wow. Bizarre. The mushroom dimension. We are... Where they have their own psychedelics, but they see very boring things. Kick ass. Very little time left. I thought that with the remaining, like, 30 seconds that we have, I would ask you, Steve McQueen... Yes. ...to tell us about one more flourish that you added to a movie yes uh the towering inferno Mm. papillon the getaway any of these that you want to tell us about well i will but before i get to that might i say let's do this again Oh yeah, this is right? great. Oh. Maybe maybe let's do this again. Let's do this again. Yeah, absolutely. What a treat! Right. What a treat! Um, uh, another flourish. Yes. Uh, the, so the towering of inferno. Yes, a building on fire. Yeah. I um I was like, what if there's a pool on the roof? That I mean that would that and that would be how we put out the fire. That's. Basically, just, what happened in the movie it, is it? It's basically. Well, that was my idea. <laughs> there was a water tower that they then. Oh used well, they <laughs> took the pool and put it in a thing. They put it in a bucket on the roof. Oh, it's but not my the idea, same. No, my idea was the pool, and it's like everybody get in the pool, and and, and like it makes we'll sense. have a pool party, and mm-hmm. then the water will spill out. And it'll the stop sides, the towering and inferno. And it'll stop the towering inferno. Wow. They put it in a water tower, but Charlton yeah. Heston. I think Charles Nesson, O.J. Simpson. Uh, no, it was my also, idea to cast him, Charles oh. Heston. Yes. What about O.J. Simpson? I was like, let's get uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> that is all the time that we have for yes. this week's episode of Famous Dead People. I would like to thank my guests, Aldous Huxley and Steve McQueen, for joining me in the studio today. Last question. Do either of you have any uh, comedy shows or funny Ooh. Twitter accounts or anything that you're really big fans of that you want to tell people about? Uh, Aldous Huxley, anything you want to tell people about? Oh, I have one of each. Uh, Twitter account, Deep Pacheco, is a fun one I follow. Uh, there's a... Uh, there's a weekly improv uh, show uh, at the Magnet Theater, a team called Good and Evil. Check them out. Go check that out. And uh, Steve McQueen, anything you want to tell people about? Sure. How about, uh, I think Bad Film Fest is 
Currently accepting submissions for weird, kooky, quirky short films um, at Bad Film Fest. Or actually, it's at Bad Theater Fest. Bad Theater Fest. Yes. All right. I am, of course, your host, Jared Berenson. You take all my stuff at jaredberenstein.com. Uh, the next episode of Stand Up 2020, the comedy show slash voting rights charity show, will be happening on Friday, February 7th at 7.30 p.m. at the Pitt Theater with our headliner, Janine Garofalo. It's an incredible show. All proceeds go to voting rights organizations, and you can register to vote while you're there. You can talk to Swing Left about, uh, about volunteering, if that's what you're into, and just come because it's a great show. Uh, if you are listening to this on the radio, find the podcast. All the old episodes are on there, and they are hilarious. Hit us up at Famous Dead People at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. We're here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.